listening to Hope Signals, the podcast of Life on the Verge Ministries, offering Bible-based insights to help you live a life of purpose and passion. This is your host, Mark Mason. Thank you for listening to Hope Signals, a ministry of Life on the Verge. You can learn more about Life on the Verge at lifeonthebridge.com. This is part two of Plow Now. Let me back up and say I hope everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving. It was a little different for us. I think maybe, you know, we have uh, three children, six grandchildren. Of course, my mom is still alive and fam- we got family, but this was the first year in a few that we haven't traveled and we ended up being home with just Susan and I. <laughs> Of course, we communicated with our family throughout the day and that kind of thing, but that's because Susan had a secondary case of COVID after having COVID in October, and praise God, she's on the mend. I would ask you to pray. We're really excited about what we're supposed to do next week, and that is we're supposed to play a gig at a particular cafe slash restaurant bar type place in Chesapeake, Virginia, and Susan still has not got her voice back. So would you pray um, I, I, you know, God will make it happen if it's supposed to happen, and uh, but we wouldn't be able to do that gig if uh, her voice isn't back where it needs to be. So pray that works out, cause I, I you know, I just kind of feel like that was a, a divine thing that we were supposed to do, and I don't like to give the devil too much credit, but undoubtedly he's involved in in trying to distract and discourage us. Okay. So let's go back to this uh, idea of plow now. You know, we're in a season in our ministry where we we it's not that we stop doing events. We're getting ready to do an event next week, and sometimes we'll do churches, but we take the RV off the road. We we repair equipment. We plan for the next year. Um, learn new songs, rehearse new stuff, maybe write some curriculum type ideas, raise money. By the way, here comes the end of 2023. Please think of Life on the Verge uh, in your end of the year giving. We've got lots of expenses. As a matter of fact, uh, we put out something um, about a major repair we had to do on the RV with the slide that ended up costing over $7,500. And let me just say, praise God, that need was met. Thank all of you that gave to that, um, but that is paid for. And uh, so, but we still have several other large kind of high dollar repairs to do on the RV and our truck and, you know, equipment maintenance and that kind of thing, not to mention uh, the tour budget itself. And we've never set out on, on our tours with the money in the bank, if you know what I mean. We just go and we, we will go until God stops supplying and sending through people like you, uh, then we'll have to reevaluate. But that's the way it has been from the beginning. And that's going to lead into kind of <clears throat> this idea of plowing now. I shared the scripture, Proverbs 20, verse 4, that says, the slugger does not plow in autumn. He will seek a harvest and have nothing. Well, for us, we're kind of in the plowing season. It is autumn, isn't it? We're not quite to winter yet. Um, and, and obviously, this can fall at different times of the year for different people. But it is a good time to evaluate 2023 and think about, okay, what do I want to reap in 2024? Maybe I need to to do a little bit of plowing. You know, I talked about reading from the 1909 John Deere book, The Science and Art of Plowing, uh, where 
Farmers are instructed to plow as long before planting as possible so the soil will have time to settle into good seedbed condition and store moisture for the coming crop. And how it talks about uh, plowing, it destroys weeds. It pulls the bugs out of the ground where they freeze to death, right? And there are things that maybe we need to get out of our lives. You know, maybe the Holy Spirit will point at something new, an attitude that needs to change, a habit that needs to change. Um, but it's a good time to plow at the end of a year. And, and, and really, it's about reflection and re- revisiting the good, the bad, and the ugly of the past year. It's about preparing the soil, you know, for the next year. What needs to happen? It's planning and strategy and all that kind of thing. It's envisioning the future harvest and it's it's looking backward to go forward. But this is the hard work that the sluggard refuses to do in the proverb and therefore comes up empty-handed at harvest. So we really do need to give deep thought, you know, about, okay, what did I just come through, you know, as we revisit last year, and not just last year. Okay, the other day, I picked up, I buy these uh, note-taking Bibles, journaling Bibles, where you can write in the side of them, you know, and then there's a couple of blank pages in the front and the back, and uh, I had one that I bought in 2009, and I, I think I used that Bible well into Life on the Verge's launch, and and uh, it it covered probably at least seven years of tra- major transition in our ministry. And I, I pulled that out the other day, and I, I do think that journaling, note-taking like that, writing some prayers down, it can really help when you go to plow and you go to look back. And, okay, where have we come from? What has God done already? We can get so short-sighted and or forgetful about what God has already done. And boy, did I get some stark reminders of all that God had done, has done. And when I opened that old green Bible, that old journaling Bible, the prayers, I mean, it, it covered the transition of when we moved from Virginia Beach to Richmond, which is something I did not want to do. Uh, I was working for a mega church. Those that know, I was working for Wave Church, and they had hired me to plant their Richmond campus, Susan and I both. And uh, we got that campus off the ground, And but my office was in Virginia Beach. We had a sweet house in Virginia Beach, right down near the beach that we were renting from my sister-in-law, Susan's sister, uh, at a steal of a deal. It was just awesome. I'm from Virginia Beach and uh, the Norfolk area, and so it was kind of being home. And not only that, I felt like that, that what we did at Wave Church, I felt like I wanted it to be transitional. Like we were going to plant our own church, but we decided to do this for Wave Church because we had a dream in our heart that didn't really quite have much definition. We just knew, I I knew I wanted to travel, I wanted to do more evangelistic work, and I wanted to use music. I'd I'd seen what Jimmy Bratcher, my friend Jimmy Bratcher, visit his website, by the way, jimmybratcher.com. He's got some great resources out there, lots of videos on YouTube if you want to be edified. But I had met him, he'd become my friend. I saw what he did, and I was like, man, that's something like that. I feel called to do something like that. So I didn't. we didn't want to launch a church that was going to be fully, quote, our church. We were the pastors that started the church. And then a few years later, hey, see ya, you know, wouldn't want to be ya kind of thing. So when we had the invitation to do this for Wave Church, I thought, well, okay, that's great. But I had to go into it with a mindset that, well, this may be the last thing I do before I go to heaven. It wasn't like I went into it with a deadline. I, I just knew that, well, 
if something happens, if the Lord opens a door for us to move into, you know, something else, this church won't be left as an orphan on the sidewalk, you know. Um, it, it will be part of a bigger picture. The umbrella of this megachurch is over. And so they they gave me quite a bit of uh, freedom in getting that church off the ground here in Richmond. It's, it's, it's soaring today. It's grown exponentially since we left. We grew it to maybe 100, 120 people. But we, we built the foundational team uh, that helped get where it is today. I mean, it was, it, you know, I'm very much a pioneering kind of spirit guy. I like to start new things. And, uh, but all that to say, my office was still in Virginia Beach and I commuted, commuted two hours to Richmond, uh, to do all of this several times a week sometimes. Uh, when they wanted me to move to Richmond, it's something I did not want to do because it felt like I was solidifying my position at Wave Church, that you know, it, 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 the next step I wanted to take was into what we do today, something like what we do today. Even though I didn't have any clear path toward it, uh, and so the Bible, anyway, it's got the notes in there about that transition. And it also has the notes of when we, you know, when I left Wave Church eventually by faith and how that, you know, happened, why I did that. Just short little notes and short little prayers. And and then it has prayers of, you know, when Susan and I were living full-time in this beat-up old camper, and we we're breaking down on the side of the road everywhere. We didn't have enough money to buy groceries. We were selling off stuff to buy groceries. Um, I'm plowing, see? And and I'm looking back, and I'm saying, wow, look, look, look at the intensity of of our determination to do this thing back then. I can't let that wane. So I don't want to go too much into our story. What, your story, looking back, where has God taken you from? Where were you? You know, w- w- examine his faithfulness through the years. R- plowing helps us to offer thanksgiving for what God has already done. It's just such a reminder to go back and read those old notes and plow a little bit. And I think this is crucial uh, in moving forward if we want to reap a a harvest going forward. And so as I continued to plow, I'm still kind of in plowing mode, and we've got some ideas for next year. You know, we've got a lot of default ideas. You know, if you don't know what to do next, just keep doing the last thing God told you to do or you feel like God led you to do. You say, well, what did God tell me to do? Well, where are you right now? Have you been serving the Lord with all your heart? Have you been trying to follow the Lord? Where are you? Well, I think it's Acts 16, might be 17, where Paul's talking on Mars Hills, and he and he says that God determines where people live and, and the things they do, right? In him, we live and move and have our being. And so wherever you are right now, well, that's where God has placed you. That's the field that he has given you to work. And as I opened my Bible yesterday, which oddly was the 27th, <laughs> but I felt led for whatever reason. That's such a loaded, a loaded thing. I felt led. I don't know. Something popped into my mind, and it call it the Lord, call it I was still sleepy, to read Proverbs 28 on the 27th. And I read it. And I ran across verse 19, and that's where I gave pause because of what I've been thinking about. It says, he who tills his land will have plenty, but he who follows empty pursuits will have poverty and plenty. He who tills his land. I cued in on his land. We are called to labor in the field where God has put us, where he's placed us in life. 
We can't go back to the past and the future isn't guaranteed. I mean, eternity is promised and guaranteed, but the future in this life, we don't know, you know, but what we can do is we can be present right where we are until the land, right where we are, what God has given us. Too often, we can fall into traps. We can fall into the trap of looking at our neighbor's field and wanting what they have. It, it's so bad now with social media. And you know, it used to be keeping up with the Joneses, right? Your neighbor, you saw they got a new car, so you wanted a new car kind of thing. You know, you, this piece of junk I got, you know, we start despising the thing that God's given us because we're looking at our neighbor's car. Well, now social media just puts everything in front of your face all the time. And if you spend too much time there, you will find yourself guilty of looking at your neighbor's field and wanting what they have instead of tilling your own field. We can be guilty of despising the pleasant land God has given us. In Psalm 106, the psalmist talks about that's what the Israelites did. They despised, they rejected, or they abhorred. They just treated with a disdain the pleasant land that God had given them. They complained, they murmured. We don't want to be those people. We don't want to despise the present land. Another thing that we can do, we can the trap that we can fall into is we can fall into a trap that author Robert Bella defined as expressive individualism. He said in his book, Habits of the Heart, basically expressive individualism is the mindset that says in order to be me, in order to be happy, in order to be completely fulfilled, I have to find the job, the relationship, the vocation, the career, the whatever that would capture me, and then I'll be able to express myself to the world. This is the whole find my passion phenomena, right? I've got to find that thing, that perfect thing. And that, that now here's another problem is that we have so many options. It's no longer what's good enough. You know, we want perfect. There's so many things to choose from today. Uh, it, it's, we can, the paralysis by, paralysis by analysis thing. I, I fall into this, right? I might be getting off the beaten path here, but... Check this out. Uh, You go to buy something. So now we can go to Amazon. We can go to Google. We can search reviews. We can read up on it. And then we, we make that purchase or we eat at that restaurant. You know, it had so many stars and people said it was excellent. And, and then we find out, ah, there was a better thing I could have bought. There was a better place I could have ate. And we despise what we've done. We, we, we just get trapped in this, I've got to find the perfect. I've got to find the perfect job where you know all of my skills will be put to work, where it'll be complete fulfillment. Well, Robert Bueller says the remedy for expressive individualism is vocation. The idea that my life is not just my life. Vocation means that we are called out of ourselves. There is a, there's a Catholic priest uh, named Mike Schmidt, I guess is how you pronounce it. Um, I think he's in Minnesota, and I stumbled across one of his videos, and he's a very articulate fellow, a good, good teacher. I think he works with youth, and uh, 
I was looking at one of his videos and I started research. I didn't even know his name. I just ran, it was ran across this video and I liked the title and I played it and and then I, I started to look into him. He's got a couple of books out there and he's got a book out there called How to Make Great Decisions. So I read the sample and said, you know, this it got really really rave reviews and I thought, well, I'm a, I'm going to take a look at it despite despite how you may feel about Catholicism. Um, the guy had some great things to say and I read the book last night. Not a very long book. But in, in the book, he says, the cure for expressive individualism is to look at the person next to you. What's their need? Then it's looking inside of yourself and saying, what do I have that can serve this person's need? It becomes the opposite of self-fulfillment, the opposite of self-expression. It becomes self-donation. Now, that's powerful. Because, uh, again, we fall into what, what is human nature. We get a new car, or it could be a new job, it could be whatever, but let's use a car as an example. We get a new car, and it's our baby. We wash it, we wax it, we literally treat it like a baby. Over time, it loses its luster, and maybe we don't wash it as often. Then it has an issue. It has to be repaired. Soon we're looking at our buddy's new car and despising the one that God blessed us with. We have to till our land to remind us of how God provided that car in the first place. And that's easier said than done. I love what Mike Schmidt said about how we've got to think outside of ourselves. And we know this as Christians, but we've got to be reminded of it, right? So let's use the example of a career. Uh, I was a Norfolk police officer. I know I've shared this before, parts of this anyway. But I had a desire to go into full-time ministry, especially when I took a transfer to the forensic section and I began to process crime scenes. And murder was rampant in the early 90s because of um, crack cocaine hitting the street. Oh, not just, not just heinous drug murders, all kinds of murders, just domestic murders, uh, just you know, sexually craziness, right? Even SIDS deaths, and we handled all deaths, uh, accidental deaths, industrial deaths, and I was surrounded by constantly, and I wanted to do something. I mean, it it literally scared the life out of me. I wanted to do something to combat the enemy, you know, the one that brought death to humanity, and I began to volunteer in a local youth group, and my desire to do that grew more and more. And despite the fact that my actions at my job, which was over an hour commute to that job, then it was it was a very serious job. It wasn't like I was working at McDonald's, which nothing wrong with working at McDonald's, but it was a career job. It demanded a lot. You know, uh, I went to a lot of different schools and, and classes and it, it, you know, it was this was for the sake of the victims. This was for the sake of society. This was serious stuff that I couldn't go in and do it haphazardly. And so my actions, you know, they were they were good. They were where they needed to be. I, I worked very hard. I was trained by an outstanding uh, officer or detective that trained me that was also a believer and had so much of a victim mindset when it came to his job. And consequently, out of eight of us, the two of us um, my trainer and, and myself, we were always at the top of the, you know, stats that came out every month about, you know, how many fingerprints or the, the evidence that uh, you collected that, that helped solve crimes. Uh, we were always number one and number two. Sometimes I beat him. So my actions were great. 
I was doing my job. But in my heart, I was despising the pleasant land that God had brought me to. Now, when we till, sometimes we can uncover this kind of thing. And that's what I'm talking about. When we plow, when we dig things up, when we're dissatisfied with where we are, we, we need to look back sometimes. We need to pull up the past a little bit and revisit where God has brought us from. You know, I mean, look at what the Israelites did when they despised the pleasant land. Look at where God had brought them from, the miracles, the, the plagues that he brought on Egypt, the things that he did to bring them to freedom and bring them to the brink of the promised land, yet they despised it. Man, that was a warning to all of us. And, and so the problem was my actions were, were still on par where they needed to be, but my spirit and my attitude were bad. I mean, I just, in my spirit and my attitude, complained a lot. I wrote my resignation letter half a dozen times, I suppose. I never turned it in. I was so ready to get out of that job. The commute was brutal. I've shared it before. I had to cross the Coleman Bridge, which at the time was two two lanes, not four. It is today. Um, it was a. There was. It would take in perfect traffic if all the lights were green at three o'clock in the morning. It could take an hour, hour and ten minutes. But typically, it was a minimum of an hour and a half commute. Some of you deal with that today. Sometimes it got so bad, I had to turn around and stay at my mom's house in Virginia Beach because it just made no sense to go home and have to come right back to work. And so, you know, I was had a bad attitude. I had a bad attitude. And it wasn't until I, I really, I mean, I look, look at what uh, Mike Schmidt had to say there, and I didn't know his book at the time, but I had to realize that this is bigger than me. This, this is about the victim's of crime. And thank God for my training partner who helped sow that in me. I had to get my head and my heart wrapped around the fact that I was walking in the career that I once dreamed of having. It was a long shot that I would even be hired as a police officer, much le less make the detective division, must, much less be invited to what was at the time a very elite squad working in forensics. Most All the guys were older than me, senior to me. And so I was blessed, and I was missing that and not thanking God for that. And it wasn't until I came to terms with the fact that this is where God put me. I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. I am going to make up my mind that, Lord, I'm going to be satisfied to be here for the rest of my life, if that's where you want me to be, and not for the sake of my self-expression or my self-fulfillment alone. You know, that was part of it. I got fulfillment out of the job. Don't get me wrong. It was just the trials that came along with it. But when I realized that, hey, this is about other people, I've got to, I've got to think about other people and bringing them resolve to what their family is going through. When I got my head wrapped around that, uh, suddenly peace took over and God began to open new doors. And, and there's nothing wrong with dreaming, by the way, I talk about Ecclesiastes 11.6 all the time, you know, sow your seed in the morning and in the evening, don't let your hands be idle. You don't know which is going to bear fruit, this or that, or both will do equally well. In other words, it, it's okay to work at McDonald's while you're going to college to be an engineer, but don't get so wrapped up in what you want to do tomorrow that you're a shoddy, you know, employee at the McDonald's. As a believer, we're to be service-oriented in whatever we do for the sake of other people. 
And so this is just some of the things that as I till, I, I'm uncovering uh, and realizing that, man, it, moving forward with life on the verge, you know, in the beginning, it was just a whole lot of unknown. It was a whole lot of, where are we going, Lord? You know, I was being invited to be part of other people's ministry, and it began to take on definition. And now, I don't want to say it's, it, it, it kind of has a little bit of a template. It's what I was working toward, um, is to be able to go, okay, I can look back at last year, and I can see a pattern, and now I can replicate that pattern. Well, that's cool, but for me, with the pioneering spirit that I have, it can be boring as well. And, and I can be thinking, okay, where's, where's the next field? I can start looking at other people's field. But I've got to be faithful. You know, I, I've got to say, you know, and some of you guys that listen, I know at least a couple of you have done some prison ministry with us. And you know it is somewhat of a hassle from time to time. It can be physically exhausting. Um, you guys that have done it, you know, pushing the gear half a mile to the chapel setting it all up not to mention the travel to get where you are and the funds it takes to do all that then you you're dealing with sometimes with a staff that uh, can show animosity that you're a hassle to them showing up with all this equipment that's got to be searched a lot of those people that work those jobs are you know brand new to it they're unfortunately from time to time they have to scrape the bottom to hire people uh, to do that job and so you're you're dealing with bad attitudes, and you're not. I mean, the devil's involved in all of this stuff. He hates what we do. Um, then you get up there and you pour your heart out, and and you don't often get. A, I mean, you you get appreciation in the moment. I'll t- I'll say that that I can't think of a prison event where we didn't feel appreciated. Sometimes the inmates are more enthusiastic than others, but we're all we always feel like we were appre- appreciated. Sometimes the chaplains don't promote things or they, they don't put the flyers out. They don't let people know you're coming. And so that, that is a real, you know, that, that's just a mm, thorn in my side when we show up and I know good and well if they would have promoted it well, the chapel would be packed and instead it's half full because they didn't promote it well. Um, there's a lot of things. All of us have hassles that come along with the field that we're working in, um, but then on top of that, you know, we don't get a lot of inmate mail. We get some. And then on top of that, prison ministry is unfortunately, believe it or not, uh, missions in general. Uh, I don't I don't quite get it, and I'm not complaining. I mean, I guess I do get it because I was a pastor, and you're so focused on what you're doing. Um, you're just another missionary. People think that we are supported largely by churches. We're not. We're supported by a few churches, but most of what we've done has been because of individual donations. And so thank God for that, uh, because churches sometimes are overtaxed. You know, they've got so many different missionaries trying to raise money to go do this and that, and they can't do it all. And so they either do a little bit for everybody or they just stop taking calls. They avoid. You know, that's just the reality of what it is. So all of this can be very disheartening, you know. And and then on top of that, you know, you get home from a tour and, you know, you got a few letters in the box, but it's not like rave reviews. And all this can work toward, you know, gosh, do I feel, and just being honest with you, do I do we feel like going through all that we go through every year to keep doing this 
when it feels like it, it's not appreciated all that much. Well, that I'm slipping into what's best for me, what makes me feel fulfilled, not what's best for those within my reach. What do I have the ability to do to meet a need where I am? It's okay to dream about other things and get vision for other things that maybe make you more effective, um, new opportunities, sow your seed in the morning and the evening, don't let your hands be idle. It's okay to do that. But what am I doing right now with what's in front of me? And I, as I reflected on all of this, a couple things happened. And, you know, again, the purpose of this podcast is to get you to plow and see what comes up. I'm, I just have the advantage of the microphone in front of me so I can share what came up as I began to plow. And as I began to, you know, think on these things, one of the things that uh, hit me was, you know, Jesus healed 10 lepers and only one came back to, to thank him. You know, Jesus, you talk about being underappreciated. So I need to get off of that little bandwagon. And then the other thing, I'm not often led by dreams. Um, matter of fact, I can only think of one dream uh, that I had that stuck with me even to this day that I felt like was perhaps from the Lord. Now, in retrospect, 10 years later. Uh, but the other day, it might have been yesterday, day before, uh, somewhere in my twilight sleep, you know, uh, after I'd gotten up and then laid back down 4, 35 o'clock in the morning, uh, I had a dream that I had committed a crime so heinous that I will never tell anyone exactly what it was. It was just horrible. And I mean, in, in my dream, I'd done this thing and now I'd been exposed and everyone knew it. And I realized that for the rest of my life, I would be defined by this one thing. No matter what else I do with my life, this one thing will always be the thing that some people, maybe most people, will think about when they hear my name. And shame came over me in a wave. And when I got up, you know, I, I thought about that. I thought, what? That is the craziest dream. Maybe it was from the Lord. I don't know. But there's definitely something to dig up there. And that is that the people that we minister in, to in prison, you know, the ones especially that come to our events, many of them are dealing with exactly that. And they need to be edified. They need to know that God loves them, that God doesn't define them. Oh, they may be guilty of what they did. Okay, they're in prison. They're being punished for what they did. They know that. But getting out from under that condemnation, finding joy, finding you know that God loves them, that God can still use them, that God can use that horrible thing they did even, uh, he can heal them. And he can use them to help other people, to walk in their calling right where they are, to till the land right where they, right where they are. You know, we work with Tony Loeffler and Church Behind Bars, and it's all about that. It's about training inmates to say, you know what? You still have, God knows what you did, and he still loves you. And he doesn't define you by that one thing. He looks at you through the lens of his son, Jesus, if you've believed on Jesus. So anyway, that all brought me back to as I tilled, and I encourage you to till your land, to plow, 
to examine your motives. As I did all that, it brought me back to the fact that this isn't just about me finding what fulfills me in, in, in the coming year. Mike Schmidt says in his book, he says, we think the goal of our life is to maximize our happiness, to find self-fulfillment or self-expression. In fact, a lot of times when we say we're discerning what to do with our lives, we're really trying to figure out what will make us the happiest. What kind of relationship will make me the happiest? What kind of career will make me the happiest? And when we approach it like that, we find ourselves in a bind because all of a sudden, it's no longer about anyone other than me. It's all about me. And we know as believers um, that we're to live our lives for the sake of others. Right, And and that's where our, our ultimate joy is going to be found. That's what Jesus modeled for us. So my encouragement for you today is to till your land and see what comes up. Uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. The things you need to keep doing, the things you need to stop doing. The thought patterns, the attitudes, and uh, specifically to me, but it may also apply to you, is I know that I've got to keep uh, myself from being consumed with this idea that I've got to find that perfect thing that makes me feel fulfilled and makes me happy. I've served the Lord long enough to know that if I will stay others focused, God will take care of all of my needs and many of my wants. God bless you. I hope you got something out of that and we'll be back with you next week. Life on the Verge is a completely donor-funded IRS 501c3. If you'd like to make a tax-deductible donation or learn more about our work inside and outside of prison, visit lifeontheverge.com. If you'd like to hear more of our music, visit theplunders.com.